Good morning, everyone. How are we this morning? Kevin and Claire are okay. Is everyone doing okay? Good. It's good to be gathered together this morning. Um, in a moment, I'm just going to be uh, preaching from the Word, and we wanted to come back and have a, have a really good time of worship together um, at the end. So that's the reason why we've um, adjusted things and uh, put them around uh, the other way. Um, is it right, 11 to 14 is going out now as well? Can someone wave to say yes? They are. So if you're in the 11 to 14 age group, um, you are now going out for um, uh, the work that you are involved with as well. My name is Paul, I'm one of the pastors here at King's Church and it's my um, privilege to lead the team. Just while sort of uh, mums and dads are going out and coming back in, Kevin, could you just quickly share, um, Kevin and Liz uh, recently visited France and uh, spent some time with Paul and Helen and Lawrence and Christine. Just share a little bit of news. visiting south of France, <laughs> which was, uh, was really good for us. <laughs> um, and just to say, uh, in a week's time, Sunday week, no, a week today, in the evening at the prayer meeting, we're going to be praying for France, and so we'll give more detail then. So I'm just going to give a quick highlight and a prayer point for uh, the Strouds in Béziers and the Norcocks in Montpellier. Um, the Strouds, they've now been down there two years, or just about two years, and it's amazing. They have just made so many friends. They know so many people up and down their road, in the village, in the town, and they just have settled into life in France. It's brilliant. It's so good to see them there uh, in, in that context and for them to be so engaged. They know all the people, they know all their names and their history and background and friends and so on. It's brilliant. And just for prayer, Lawrence has been asked to be involved in the leadership team of the church plant there. And so it would be great to pray that they have real wisdom about his involvement and what he should do and how much responsibility he should take. Um, and then we slipped down to Montpellier, which is about an hour away, to visit the Norcocks. And they, they have done absolutely amazingly. They've been out there just over two months and they've moved house into a new country, a new culture, speaking a new language. They've moved their house into a two-bedroomed flat. Uh, Paul started a new job. The girls have started in a new school, which is a bilingual school, so some of their uh, lessons are in French. And Helen started work full-time all in two months. And to be honest, they're a bit weary. And so it would be great to pray that they just know the peace of God over these next few weeks, particularly in this next half term leading up to Christmas, and that they really know rest in God over these few weeks. And our involvement in the south of France is increasing because Barbara, Barbara White is going to be moving out there in a couple of weeks to live in Montpellier and be part of all that's going on there with the church plant. And we want to say goodbye to Barbara well, and, uh, and so she will be involved in the prayer meeting next Sunday evening and we'll be praying for her. But we're also going to be praying for her this morning uh, during breaking of bread later on. Uh, but so that she's got opportunity to enjoy them, we've got some flowers we're going to give her now 
so that she doesn't have to take them on the plane with her, but she can enjoy them over the next week or two. So Barbara, where I hope you're here. Yes, she is there. Well done. there's a good chance, give it another six months and we could have a community group in the south of France. So if there's anyone who wants to be involved with that, if you sort of raise your hands now, I'm sure, I'm sure they have lots of people visiting them anyway, just to check out whether they should be part of it or not. Um, this morning we're going to be continue, continuing our series in John's Gospel, John chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at the whole subject of being fruitful for God's glory. But before we do that, I mean, do turn in your Bible set. I've been waiting three weeks to talk about this. I really have. What an amazing gift day total. Don't you think? I was absolutely blown away by it. To, to think over that four-week period, you have given and pledged, we're now up to £340,000. Isn't that amazing? I, I just think... And this isn't a reflection of the fact that, that, that we're living in a rich town. And it's not a reflection of the fact that you are a rich church. It's a reflection of the fact that you are a generous church. Amazingly generous. Um, like I say, I was absolutely um, overwhelmed. When I got the uh, email through, I you know, sort of like a second take moment. And if I'm honest, that round of applause that you just did then in no way represents how well you've done. Because I, I think actually this isn't... We, we do thank God and we know that everything we have comes from him. But actually we also should be very grateful to one another. Because... It's the generosity of hundreds and hundreds of people here that has provided that amount of money enabling us to push into the things God is calling us to next year as we transform the building, as we see more and more lives changed and affected by the gospel, as we see disciples raised up, as we see community groups sent out, as we see the sick healed as we see families put back together, all, all of that is sort of linked, it's an overflow of what we are about. But it's, it's possible because you guys, you, all of you did really, really well. Uh, you, do you know what I mean? I don't want to sound condescending, I don't mean it in that way at all. I, I, really, you were brilliant. Do you know that? Over that period you were absolutely brilliant in how you responded to God. And so what I'd love you to do, and, and, and only if you, you feel comfortable to do it, but... Please, please, we don't want a round of applause like that last one. That, that was a pretty abysmal attempt, I must say. I, I just want to encourage you to stand on your feet and clap God, but also to clap each other, because you've done, we've done really, really well. So you, you're up for that. I've sort of done a bit of a prep for you, yeah? You ready for this? A bit of enthusiastic. Come on, let's just... Uh, thank you, Lord. You are good, Lord. We're so grateful. Thank you for this church. You are outstanding, Lord God. 
Absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Lord God. Now that's a round of applause. And normally I wouldn't encourage you to be proud, but actually, in this instance, you should be. And in a town where sometimes people think, can anything good come from it? Yes, it can. Absolutely. Seriously. You need to let this do something in your spirit. What we can achieve when we come together and act in unity is quite amazing. We are a redeemed people. We are a changed people. Our identity isn't linked to our geography. It's linked to the fact that Jesus Christ has saved us and given us new life. And what happened over that four-week period is a reflection of exactly that. Anyway, let's get stuck into um, John chapter 15. Now, if you're sharp here, and I know most of you are, with the exception of Brian, probably, um, two weeks ago, you'll realise that Santino preached on John chapter 15. And I thought, because I wasn't here, but I downloaded it and listened to it, I thought he was absolutely brilliant on that passage. I thought he did a really, really good job explaining it and preaching it to us. And he particularly picked up uh, an individual application. You would have gone away thinking, this is what I do with this passage, which is absolutely brilliantly and probably more right than what I'm about to do with it. But as I was preparing and thinking um, about this week, I felt drawn back to this passage because I think there is a corporate application for us as a church. There is something that God wants to communicate to us as a church from John chapter 15. So let's read it together and then we get stuck in. This is Jesus speaking. And also, just to to highlight something else, this is the middle of him talking. This isn't the whole of his mini-preach. He's teaching before it and he goes on to teach after it. And so if you're to understand the context, we must read the whole lot. He says, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it be even more fruitful. You are already because of you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he, that, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I, I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it makes us wise. Lord, it gives us godly a godly, a right wisdom from you as we understand your word. It gives us, it's a manual for life. It helps us to live life in a way that glorifies you. Lord, I ask, would you please help me to communicate well this morning? I pray, Holy Spirit, would you uh, anoint my words. I pray we'd be good hearers this morning. I pray we'd be active in our listening. Looking, looking to find, to hear, to apply to our lives. Bless us and be with us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has always been one of my favourite passages in the Bible. I think uh, the reason that is the case is because it talks so much about being fruitful. In verse 2 and in verse 4 and in verse 8 and in verse 16, it talks about Christians being fruitful. To be fruitful is to produce a lot of fruit. It's to be fertile. It's to be productive. It's to um, show good, to have good results. I, I sort of quite like that. Do, do, would, you like to be, would you like that to sort of be um, descriptive of your life? That you are fruitful, that you, you bear a lot of fruit, you... you There's a good return for the investment, maybe to change some of the language. That your your life is productive. That you make a difference. Well, this is what seems to come through in John 15. Jesus seems to be talking about how being linked to him and living a life in him, you you as Christians bear fruit. There is a productivity... um, to you, to us. Do you know, do you know that you are designed for that very purpose? You're designed to bear fruit. You're designed, in some ways I guess you could say, even to be successful in a right way. That's how God has made you to be. That's the very purpose for which God has put you here as individuals, but it's also the very reason we are here as a church is to be fruitful. As we follow him, as we stay linked to the vine, we should have an expectation. Our default setting should be that things go well. Our default setting should be that things go well for us and we produce fruit in season. Just like an apple tree, if you've got an apple tree in your garden, you should be pretty miffed if you have a season where there are no apples on it. You'd be annoyed, wouldn't you, Brian? You're a gardener. If, if in his garden 
that he works in all year round, there is no fruit at the end of the year. You'd say, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And that should be the same thing for us as a church and as individuals now, you can have a hard time in a garden. Um, I am a skilled gardener, by the way. All you need to do is come look at my garden, you'll see. Jim Bibby said to me today, he said, he said um, not today, but early in the week, he was talking about how he, I asked how his garden was, and he said, oh, well, I've pruned some stuff down, but obviously I've got more pruning to do in the spring, and I thought, there's more than one time when you cut everything down to that level? <laughs> anyway, I'm not, I'm not a good gardener, but if you are a, if you are a skilled gardener, you, you, expect, you expect things to um, grow and to produce fruit. Now, you may have a hard winter where the frost kills things back a little bit, but even then you'd have an expectation of fruitfulness over the long term. Isn't that right? Come on, some of you who are gardeners know, know that will be the case. And if it's not fruitful, there's something wrong. Well, in the Christian life, and, and I think this is why God has drawn this back to me, and I, I, want you, I want us to hear this, church. We need to be living with a growing expectation of fruitfulness. That as we turn our hands to the things that God is calling us to do, our expectation needs to change. In, you know, for, for me as well, I'm speaking this word really to me, is, do you know what? It's going to work. Do you know what? People are going to come to know God. Do you know what? People are going to be growing as Christians. Do you know what? We are going to be gathering more on Sunday mornings. And as we put on something, and we didn't, I don't think we've mentioned it this morning. No, we did mention chills, didn't we, this morning? I'm having, my brain is freezing itself. We, we put on the first event, a community group event in the town centre, and 49 teenagers turn up because they are hungry for what we can offer to help and support and to express something of love to them. God has designed you to be fruitful. In John 15, verses 16 and 17, the very words we just finished with, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Do you know that God chose you? You you may have thought you chose and you didn't. He chose you. And what was it? What's the next words he says? And he appointed you. He has appointed you to go and bear fruit. Not fruit which is just going to last a bit like some squishy strawberries. It lasts for a couple of weeks and then it's gone. No, we have been appointed to bear fruit. Fruit that will last for eternity. Things that we do now that will echo through eternity. You will get to heaven and you will realise that some of the things you've done, even some insignificant things, you thought that insignificant, they had eternal consequences and weight. You will, you will bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father, look at this, this, this is, I mean, the problem with these promises, they seem to be so remarkable that we don't believe they're true. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. What? A ridiculous promise. Whoa. (laughs) I did nearly fall off the stage last week. I've got to stand further back. But then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. As a church, as we come together and pray and seek God, 
God answers our prayers. He does. £340,000 is an answered prayer. Souls saved is answered prayer. People growing in God. The fact we're in this building is answered prayer. Community groups being launched and set up is what? It's answered prayer. It's amazing what we can do as we pray and as we seek God. In Ephesians um, 2, uh, verse 10, I won't turn to it, but it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. These works that he's prepared in advance for us to do, he doesn't prepare them so they're not going to be able to do them. They won't be able to do them, but I'm going to get them to do them anyway. No, he's prepared his works and we are just the right shape, we're just the right fit to do the things God has called us to do. He's lined up tasks. He's got you a to-do list to do. Did you know that? He's got you a Phil to-do list. Phil and Joe, he's got a to-do list for you that only you can do. Adrian and Liz may have tried to do it, but they can't because they're not designed as you're designed. God has made you and brought you together as a couple because he has plans and he has purposes for you to do things with eternal consequence. And that is the same. That is the same right across the board for us. You're made, Christ Jesus, made in him to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has great plans for this church. He does. And he wants you to be involved in them. And actually, if we're going to see them happen, we need you to be involved in them. He has great plans. Guy Miller said a couple of years ago, and uh, quite a significant prophecy over us, but one bit he said was the best, the best years are still to come. I believe that's true. Four weeks ago was a first. T- to my recollection, never has the church given as much as it gave or pledged as much as it gave in that, in that season. That's not to make us arrogant or bold, but I, I want it to be like a prophetic thing for you. It's, it's a first. And I believe God has got many more firsts for us in massively different and varied areas. Things that are still yet to come. come. God has fruitfulness for us. He's appointed us to go and bear fruit. Now, I've already spent far longer than I meant to in that first section, but I just want to go and look at some keys to fruitfulness. And I think the first things that we must realise as uh, we read these verses in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. There are two key roles in this whole fruitfulness thing that we mustn't forget as we're considering it, and it keeps us with a a right perspective of ourselves. The first thing is this. Jesus Christ is the vine. All life is found in him and him alone. So anything that we're able to do as a church together flows out of, it grows out of, the fact that we are joined to Jesus Christ that he is the resurrection and the life. 
that our sins have been dealt with on the cross. He paid the full price for them. We are now joined with Christ. We have new life in him, a life that is destined for fruitfulness. But if we are not united, if we are not joined to Christ, as it says in those words, we can do nothing. And clearly it's not talking about we can do nothing across the board. It's talking about we cannot do anything with eternal fruitfulness. Without Christ we can't do anything. And I don't think we can labour this point enough that our union, our joining to Christ is is essential, it's critical. You can give or take in a few other things, but when it comes to have you been individually joined into Christ, that is a non-negotiable. What makes us unique is not just that we're a group of people who have come here, we like to sing a few songs, we like to listen to a bit of a preach, we have a nice coffee at the end and we go home. What, What makes us unique is I have been joined to Jesus Christ. There was a point in my life where, Lord Jesus, I cannot do it on my own. Would you please forgive me for my rebellion? Would you please forgive me for my self-sufficiency? Lord, I put my trust in you. And at that very moment, I was born again. The life of God flooded within me. And that is a story that is replicated hundreds of times across this auditorium. We're not just a group of fairly nice people who have come together. We are a group of people that have been redeemed. That's purchased by Jesus Christ's death on a cross and set apart for good works which God prepared in advance that we should do. And the only reason we can do it is because we have been purchased by Christ's death. Isn't that right, church? That's the life. That's where we're plugged into. Without him, we've got nothing. But the second thing, and this is also foundational, is the fact that the Father is the gardener. God the Father, he is the master builder. He is the master gardener. He is the vine dresser. He's the one that knows how it works and how it's all put together. Often we think, don't we, that I am in control of my life. My destiny is in my hands. Oh, it's not. Whether you know him, whether you know Jesus or not, Let me tell you, your life is not in your hands. So easily, life can change in a moment. Things you never expected to happen can just sweep in and bring, and suddenly at those points you realise, I am not the master of my own destiny. But I want to tell you that there is one who is the master of your destiny, and he is a loving, kind, generous father who has your very best interests at heart, if, if, only, if only you'd come to the understanding you can't do it on your own and that you need to bow the knee to him and say, I'll follow you. But it's the same for us as well, isn't it, church? Do you know in the circumstances and the difficulties of your life, do you know that you're not the master of your own destiny, but we have a loving Father who passionately loves you And it says there that he prunes you. He cuts pieces off that are not fruitful. Now, one of the older Bible scholars that I was reading said that with vines there are two bits of pruning that goes on. There's a part of pruning that takes place in winter. When everything has has died back 
And the vine dresser would come along and he'd take out whole branches that have died. The cold, the frost, or whatever it might be, it's, it's killed the plant right back, and, and, and whole bits to come out. But there's other pruning that takes place in, in the spring where the vine dresser, the gardener, would just pick out shoots. And the reason he does it is not because the shoots are wrong in themselves, but it's because as you remove the shoots, the ones that remain are even more fruitful. You see, you don't want a vine with lots of shoots, you want a vine with a lot of fruit. And so in seasons of our life, I think we will all find times where it feels like a whole arm has been removed. There'll be other times where God just keeps picking out these shoots in our lives that just keep on growing back. And the reason he does it isn't because he doesn't love you. He does love you, but he wants you to be incredibly fruitful. Things, doors you keep pushing at. I'm going to get through this door. I really feel this. God keeps, no. I'm shutting that door. I'm shutting that door. You stop trying to go over there. I want you to go over here. I'm, I'm, and although it's painful, remember, what, why is he doing it? That you would be even more fruitful. Now, I believe the same things happen in ministries in church life, in churches themselves. Kids club was a fruitful branch. But there was a time when it needed to be removed. It had to be needed. It was the right time to be taken out. But as that has been removed, it has provided space and opportunity for other things to grow in its place. Kids Club wasn't wrong. It just had a season of growing. And now with community groups... There's different shoots appearing. They will bear different amounts of fruit. At times, maybe some of those will need to be, as it were, and it can seem pretty grim, it's not that grim. Just, we'll stop that one for now. It's had its time. Why? So the church can be even more fruitful. So whether it's in our own lives, whether it's in ministries, whether it's in church as a whole, um, God is the great and sovereign gardener. Now just a few, and I'm going to rattle through these quite quickly. What are some keys to fruitfulness? So setting in the context that we're joined into Christ and we can do nothing on our own, and the fact that the Father is the gardener, what part do we need to play? Now the reference I'm bringing to here is particularly as a church. What are the keys for us as a church to remain fruitful? To remain, uh, as it were, in the purposes of God. Now I think there are probably quite a few. I've picked out four. Now, the first one I've already covered, because I'm not being disciplined and following my notes, is the fact that a key for fruitfulness is that God prunes your life. It isn't an obstacle to fruitfulness. It is necessary, if you're going to bear fruit, is that God disciplines, that God um, brings fruitfulness out by pruning, by cutting back. Now, I don't like that one. I, I would much... Come on, God, you must come up with a better thing than pruning if I'm going to be fruitful. But it, it appears from reading John 15 that if you want to be fruitful in God's purposes, he will prune you. Through circumstances in your life, maybe through the word of God, maybe through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, maybe by a loving rebuke from a friend or family member but pruning is order of the day if you're a Christian and you want to grow in God. 
Now, I would encourage you to be a vine and not a rose bush when it comes to pruning. Don't be one that bites back. You know, you grab hold of a rose bush, or this is how I prune, <laughs> grab hold of the rose bush and off it comes and you get a handful of thorns. No. Be open. Be open in your heart and your spirit. Is God talking to me through this person? Has, are his purposes being revealed through what, what's, what's happening here? I don't like the circumstance. I certainly don't like that person that just brought that rebuke to me. But, but, but could it be right? Is there an element where God could be in this? Pruning and God's discipline is essential for fruitfulness. Another thing you'll pick up from John 15 is also that you need to, and it's a funny context here, you need to remain part of the vine. Now, in many ways, you you would say, well, I am part of the vine, I have been united with Christ. And that is true. I believe what John has in mind here is much more of an experiential thing rather than a positional thing. That you are part of of the vine. Um, One great um, theologian, can't remember who it was, so I should claim the credit myself for this. This is what he said, on an individual level. To remain in me, to remain in Jesus, means to continue in a daily, personal relationship with Jesus, characterised by trust, prayer, obedience and joy. So, if, if we want to remain... to continue in daily personal relationship with Christ. For us as a church, what does it mean? Well, I, I think there's, I've got four, four keys here. The first one I believe, for us as a church to remain in Christ, I think we might, might, must give the right position, the right place to the authority of the Bible in our lives. If we are going to remain part of Christ, we need to keep the authority of Scripture in our lives. What does that mean? That means that when we are making decisions, when we are building our lives, this book, more than anything else, takes precedence. Particularly when we don't like what it says because it interrupts our personal agendas. It is at that point the authority of Scripture and the Bible is even more important. In verse 7, Jesus says, look, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. How, how do we get God's words? What's the best way? What's the clearest way where we find out what's on God's agenda? It's from this book. It's the revealed Word of God. Yes, I believe in the prophetic. I believe in the now Word. But that does not trump this. If it doesn't tie up with this, then it isn't God speaking. Well, I feel God said this to me. Well, well, let's start. Does it say that in this book? No, it doesn't. It may be any one of a number of people speaking, but it's not God because he doesn't contradict himself. So this must be the foundation that we build our individual lives on, but also corporately as a church, we give high place to the word of God. We give good time to explaining it because we need to make sure we're building on the right foundation and we hold the plumb line of the word up against what we're building and saying, is it straight? No, it's wonky. Well, we don't believe the word of God's wonky. It must be what we've built that's wonky. Therefore, I will adjust how I'm building. 
But the only way we know if it's wonky is if we keep in the word of God. Do you know what the number one way for a Christian to grow is? Someone shout something out. Do you know what the number one way is? If you want to grow as a Christian, what's the best thing you can do? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Someone did a survey somewhere, somewhere and that's what they came up with. <laughs> but it is true. If you, if you want to grow as a Christian, the best way to start is to read the Bible. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you and understand it. But if you want to grow, read the Bible. Get to know Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 All of the Bible is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you want to be equipped, get into the Word of God. Be students of the Word of God. So, to remain in the vine, authority of the Bible. Second thing, the presence of the Holy Spirit is essential. John 16 verse 7 all part of the same discourse that Jesus is, is doing. It says this, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. What the twelve disciples enjoyed with Jesus, all believers at all times can enjoy with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's good that I'm going away because I will send you the Holy Spirit. We can know Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit, just as well as Peter and John knew Jesus. Through the person of the Holy Spirit, we can have just as an engaged relationship with God as Peter and John had. That's why he was sent, among other things. As a church, we must crave, we must give space and time for the Holy Spirit to lead and direct us. We honour the Word of God, we covet the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why as Janair and Ali and Max and people like that lead us in worship, it's so key that we linger. It's so important that we have contributions from the floor. Because it says when we gather together, how do we find out what's on God's agenda? It's, 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 not, it's not just what I say, but actually we believe God moves through the congregation, drawing passages and words to people's minds. They come and they share them. And together we get, God's leading us this way this morning. This is on God's agenda. And so we, we need to be a church that keeps in step with the Spirit, following his promptings. I know that some things that the Spirit draws us to do, visitors find quite hard to understand. Speaking in tongues is is not an easy thing to understand if you first come to a meeting like this. But we, we, we fight for these things, we keep these things in because the Bible says it's right that we honour them. And as we do that, we enjoy God's manifest presence and mighty and magnificent things happen when God is present in a place. Interesting as well, just uh, Bruce Milne says this, the gracious indwelling of God 
with its sorry, the gracious indwelling of God with his people is not an invitation to settle down and forget the rest of the world. It's a summons to mission. For the Lord who dwells with his people is the one who goes before them in the pillar of fire and cloud. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit if we're going to be effective at reaching our town and our communities. Third thing, if we're going to remain in Christ, is unity in the church. God has always blessed us with high levels of unity and love. I think it's one of the strengths we have as a church. In John 15, verse 12, it says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. In verse 17, Jesus says this, This is my command, love each other. One Peter four verse eight says, "Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Where love abounds, offences are frequently overlooked, and they are quickly forgotten. We should value each other, place unity right up there, and express love for each other in as many varied ways as we can." I mentioned a few weeks ago that someone who doesn't know much about God or the Bible may not understand the great truths contained in the Bible, but they will understand genuine love for one another. It expresses something. I want to encourage you, church, trying to think of the right word, excel in expressing love. You do but I want to encourage you to do those things more and more and more. And fourthly, if we want to remain um, in Christ, obedience is key. It's funny, isn't it? You don't think sort of Jesus, meek and mild, all that sort of stuff. Jesus, a number of times, commands the disciples to do things. Here it talks about obedience. He says, look, if you want to remain in my love, he says, obey what I'm telling you to do. You think love and obedience, as they link together, Absolutely they are in the Bible. They are. If you obey my commands, verse uh, 10, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. The times when I've experienced the greatest closeness and friendship with God in an experiential way are the times when I have put the most effort into obeying the smallest promptings that he has given me. It's not, it's not legalism. It's not, oh, I've got to do it. It's, I want to follow you. And that's where the person the Holy Spirit is so key as well because he speaks to us and he guides us in the things we should be doing. So if we're to bear much fruit, I've got to remember my own points now, we need to be expecting to be pruned, we need to put great effort into remaining in the vine, how do we remain as a church, the authority of scripture, the presence of the Holy Spirit, great unity and obedience as a church, we must obey first and foremost what God tells us to do. Amen? even if at times we think, oh, it's a bit of a gulp, take a bit of a gulp. And the last thing, if we're to bear fruit, I think, um, and it comes out of uh, John 15, it says, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. 
I've already touched on that a little bit, so I won't, I won't linger there. In verse 7 and verse 16, this amazing promise is given by Jesus about, about asking and God will answer our prayers. It's repeated again in uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 14. This is a phenomenal promise. It's linked to the whole fruitfulness thing. Is, and I know, I, I, you know, just to say it again, to, 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 church, do we know that when we pray, God wants to answer our prayers? Now, he doesn't always answer them as we expect. Sometimes there are frosty, cold, icy seasons in the garden where it's just, it's just hard. But year on year, season on season, we bear fruit. God answers prayer. We push forward in his purposes and plans. And I want to, I, I, I know, I suppose probably the weight of what I wanted to communicate this morning is let's, let's be diligent in remaining close to Christ with an expectation as a church, we will bear much fruit. I mean, in some ways there's been so much, it's been like um, chills. There's been, there's been the gift day. Nigel shared with me, who, who's uh, planting a church in Berlin, that they had the first person respond to the gospel this week over in Berlin. There, there are so many different pockets of things where there is fruitfulness. Where, where things are growing and bearing fruit. And I, I just want to encourage you, church. It's right that we look at obstacles and we think, how are we going to overcome? But also, let's have a bigger view of God. He has called us to bear fruit. Jeremy, about 18 months ago, he's a guy that um, was an elder in the church, he's now overseeing many churches in the north um, of the country. He brought a word about Joseph is a fruitful vine. A fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb up and over the wall. They, they bear fruit. And I believe that is a prophetic picture for us as a church. When obstacles come, which they will for us as a church, it's not for us to say, oh, it's too hard. We cannot overcome. It is an opportunity for us to grow up and over for the glory of God. And even the very obstacle itself makes us stronger and gives us more opportunity to demonstrate God's goodness and his glory. God has appointed us. He has appointed you to go and bear fruit and fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. If I can invite the band back up to the stage, we're going to worship God, we're going to break bread in a little while. Can I encourage the rest, ask the rest of you to stand? I'm just going to pray as, we, as, a, as a, I close the preach. We've got a good 20, 25 minutes to worship God, to connect with him, to be open to the prophetic, open to what God wants to say to us. If you feel comfortable to do so, um, when you raise your hands, Lord, it, it it is amazing, Lord, that you would appoint us for fruitfulness.
I'll just say those words again. You have been designed to be fruitful. Not not just to bear fruit, not, not just to bear a certain quota, but fruitful is a lot of fruit. I just feel God highlighting to me. I know some of, some of you, in some way some of us, are facing different challenges and difficulties. I want to say it's like a wall is in our way. Not, not by our effort or our strength, but God is going to cause us to grow up and over and to bear fruit in the midst of trial. It might be that the circumstances don't change. For some of you, the circumstances cannot change. But, but that promise that God has appointed you for fruitfulness has not changed. And it is the same for us as a church. Church, God, God has appointed us here in Hastings for fruitfulness. And in a town where often you can hear about things that cannot be done or things cannot, be work, cannot work, we are to be a group of people who have an expectation that things will work. We have an expectation that God will bless. That even if in the past three or four people have tried and it has failed, because our identity is in God... As we try and we step out in faith and God puts his resources behind us, things start to work. There's fruit in fruitless places because we have put our feet onto that ground. That it becomes a place of blessing and a place of springs and a place of God's favour. A bit like as Chills is in the town centre... A place where maybe there isn't much fruitfulness and there isn't much of God's grace down there as they, as it were, are planted in there an expectation of fruitfulness, an expectation of blessing and of peace and of grace. It would be the same with things like street pastors down there, bringing God's grace and peace where there is none. I pray, Holy Spirit, please, Lord, I pray, Lord, where there is a lack of faith, and as we were singing that last song into the preach, we say, let faith arise. Because we trust you, and because you are able, and because you are strong, and because you are mighty, and because you love this town, and you've set your affection on us, your church, Lord, we expect blessing. Your word tells us to. I pray, Holy Spirit, as we sing now, Lord God, would you speak to us? Would you move our hearts? Would you do your work, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.